Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Unexpected trouble? CashNet USA can take the stress out of borrowing emergency funds. Our fast, secure application process makes it easy to apply online 24-7. Plus, CashNet USA offers same-day funding if approved before 10.30 a.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Additional terms may apply. Visit CashNetUSA.com or tap the banner to apply today. What's going on, Bird Gang? This is Darren Sproles here. I just want to thank you all for tuning in to Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave a five-star rating. Fly, Eagles, fly. Alright, thanks for tuning in to Eagles Brawl of the Brawl Network. However, you're listening, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Joining me is a special, special guest. NFL Wires, Mark Schofield, touchdown wire, excuse me. I always get those two confused sometimes. Touchdown wire, Mark Schofield. You're with SP Nation. You're with everybody. You, you do all the great football work. Mark. I had to have you on because I thought your article on Carson Wentz, what's going on with him, the way that you tried to explain it, was so fundamentally sound, I had to get you on the show. Because uh, I think from the media standpoint, and we're talking on radio, we're talking, I'm not talking articles, because like, I think Ben Solik and Fran Duffy, like you said, did great film evaluations. But from just the radio side, we just keep wanting to right. point fingers. We're, we're trying to figure out what's going on, what's wrong, who's, who's at fault, is it Doug's play calling, is it... Carson's uh is getting rattled by Jalen Hurts being here we're not looking at the fundamentally sound side so that's why I wanted to get your input on the show after what you wrote about Carson's struggles but the main thing that I want to go back to is back in 2015 is when I first personally started coming across your work for inside the pylon and I was a huge Carson Wentz fan there I thought the way that he ran the West Coast offense at North Dakota State was so pro-like there was no way this guy wasn't going to make it as a pro in the NFL I think we all got stuck in the box scores of a division two school looking at his numbers and thinking that's not that impressive, but everything was there on film to translate to the NFL. The number one thing, and you wrote about a friend side of the pylon was the decision-making was on par with NFL caliber quarterbacks. And then you would always go back to, I believe you also wrote about the combine when they did that little segment on him and he was pretty much breaking down the plays and doing the whole entire offense on the big board. He always seems like he had the highest NFL quarterback IQ. It's always been there. Carson Wentz last week, this past Sunday specifically, the interception where Darius uh, – it was Darius Williams, I believe. Yeah, Darius Williams get cuts in front of him. Something just doesn't seem right with him decision-making-wise. So that's why I had to get you on to talk about it with you. But what do you think – because, I mean, going back for – you were one of the first Carson Wentz advocates before everybody was questioning him, and we were all on the cars uh, – the Jared Goff, Paxton Lynch hype trains. You were the, one of the first ones to support Carson Wentz. The decision-making was one of the things that you drove home. What 
What are yours did you take from watching Carson Wentz yeah, lately? I mean, Connor, it's a tough question to answer, but it's the right question to ask because, you know, there's mechanical stuff going on, which we can get into. But there are there were decisions from this past Sunday against the Rams that are extremely questionable that we didn't see Carson making back when he was at NDSU. You know, a lot of people look at the interception in the end zone, the throw to J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. And that's certainly one that people have questioned. You mentioned Ben Solak. He did a video on it. Fran Duffy, you mentioned him. He did a video on it. You know, when you work through that play, like he's got really nowhere else to go. I mean, you look at this play. Mm -hmm. It's a shallow cross concept, drive concept, whatever you want to call it, where he's got both tight ends working across the formation left to right. Both of them are basically doubled. You know, the deeper route is bracketed. The underneath route is doubled in a sense because you've got the man coverage defender and you've got the underneath rat defender who's trying to mirror Carson Wentz because Wentz is kind of rolling a half roll to his left. Those routes are basically doubled. So he can't throw to the middle field. Those are your first two reads on that play. You come to your third read, that's Rager on a comeback route along the left sideline. He falls. So at this point, mm-hmm, Wentz yeah. has nowhere else really to go with the football except for Jay Jaws' backside post route. He could try to run it, but again, like I said, you've got that rat defender that's mirroring him and also working under the second tight end. So he comes to that and decides to try to yam that in there. And then that thing goes off the rails, and you can question the decision to do that. In a sense, I almost get it because there's really nowhere else to go with the football. I would have preferred him, particularly given the result, to throw it away. But that's when the sort of mechanics come into play. There was a throw later in the game. They're working into the other end zone where you've got the spot count concept to the right. This one I have a big problem with because you've got the spot. He wants to get it to Ertz. There's a rub situation. Ertz gets sort of caught into traffic, so he works off of it. And he doesn't see Goddard come open up the scene. So he works backside where you've got the under and the dig. That's covered. So he looks back to the right, doesn't see that, doesn't see Goddard open. Then for whatever reason, looks at Goddard, it's open, and he works back left and is forced to throw it away. That I also have a huge problem with because he had, when he worked back to the right there, he could have hit Ertz on that spot. It was open. I don't understand why he did that. Final play I'll mention, look, you have Dallas Goddard beat Jalen Ramsey in man coverage. And he tries to turn it into a back shoulder throw. Like, I don't understand why he did that. Like, there are a lot of decisions that he made that I don't understand from this game. And I don't know why it happened, but these are the decisions that I got problems with. I know that you and I aren't doctors, and I'm not expecting you to really know the answer to this, but knowing the quarterback position the way you do, the evaluated the way you do, you would understand what type of injuries would hinder a quarterback's play. I personally think something's wrong with the groin. I think the training camp injury is more under – would you have a preseason where you, I mean, you don't have a preseason and you don't have any – there wasn't anybody there watching practice that much. It's a, easier to keep – injuries underneath the rug right now to sweep them underneath the rug to make them not seem that big, especially when you're talking about Carson Wentz, who this whole entire career is being blasted on the internet for his injuries. Maybe there has to be something with that groin there because he looks like he can't get set. I feel like he must be in thriving pain in the groin area to not get his feet set. Am I far off with this? Do you no, think? Connor, I think you're right in the sense that there seems to be something structurally bothering him. He seems to be very uncomfortable. I don't know if it's the groin. 
it might be. It certainly might be. And it would make sense that, look, if he's more has a more severe injury than we thought, this would be a kind of time where you could keep it under wraps because of the lack of access we have. I don't know if it's a knee. I don't know if it's a back. But he doesn't feel comfortable with his lower body. And in the piece that I put over at USA Today, there were two other instances where he makes a throw or tries to make a throw, and his left foot is parallel to to his target. You know, and this is something that I'm seeing. This is something that Solak is seeing. Dan Orlovsky talked about it on ESPN on Monday afternoon, how his front foot, his front leg is a mess. There's something wrong there. And when you look at one of the plays I highlighted, actually both of these plays, you have that foot issue. The first one, he's got sort of pressure in the pocket. And it's like he doesn't want to step into throws because he's afraid of exposing that front leg. And maybe if he has like a, a left groin injury or a left knee problem that he's worried about, he's worried about that left leg for some reason. Like you said, look, we're not doctors. I can say as a lawyer and an ex-lawyer, lawyers like to think we're smart enough to be doctors, but we're really not because we're mostly idiots. Prime example of that right here. But yeah, you look at the way he's playing there's something wrong with him. And I don't know what it is. You might be right. It's the groin. Other people might be right. It's the back, the knee, whatever. He doesn't look structurally comfortable. All right. Here's my problem with Doug Peterson. I want to see if, how you feel about this, because again, you cover the whole entire league, you know, quarterback head coach relations is better than anyone as a Philadelphia fan and watching this team so much, the way that Doug Peterson threw the whole entire script out and made his system tailor Nick Foles' success to win that Super Bowl was one of the most gut-wrenching, awesome, I loved it coaching performances ever. Because I, it, it takes so much for a coach to throw out his ego and do what's best for the team to win and do what's best for the situation at hand. Here's what I can't come to terms with. Can't, I can't come to grips with it at all. Doug Peterson thinks Carson Wentz is a top-10 caliber quarterback, which he should. He is along those lines. They let him do the hero ball. They don't rein him in. I never. I don't see what I see where Doug took Nick Foles and said, hey, this is what you're struggling with. Because as we all know, when the season ended in 2017, we were talking about if Nate Sudfield should play instead of Nick Foles. Why do you think that there's such it's such a disconnect there? Because you see Doug take this buddy-buddy approach, and I'm looking at Bill Walsh, Joe Montana, Bill Belichick, Tom Brady, even Sean Payton, Drew Brees. That's that's just not how you play. That's not how you manage a relationship like that. It has to be a strictly competitive nature. I think this buddy-buddy approach allows Carson to get this lackadaisical effort because now you're hearing from South Pal Antonio that Carson's ignoring the play calls or he's doing his own thing. He does what he wants. I think if that if there is merit to that, which I believe personally that there is, it's because you're taking this buddy-buddy approach where you feel like, I feel like I can do this. I'm comfortable doing this. Nobody is telling me I can't. Nobody's enforcing anything. I feel like a coach needs to challenge his quarterback. I don't see anything happening there. And then when your quarterback's failing and you're not doing too well, what are you doing to adjust to help him out? Right. And, you know, I, I think, you know, you're hearing those rumblings that, you know, Doug, after week one, kind of said, look, you know, play calling. It was kind of on me. I'm the one calling the plays. But you've got people like Mike Lombardi and others saying that, look, there's something else going on here. You know, a lot of stuff happens at the line of scrimmage and Carson is kind of calling his own number, kind of putting, you know, calling the plays that he wants to call, not the one that Doug wants to call and Doug doesn't really want to throw him on the bus. And that, Connor, might get right to your point about the sort of buddy-buddy relationship where Peterson – 
almost seems like he's trying to be the guy's best friend and not his head coach. Like at some point as a head coach, you're going to say, look, if this is what I call, like, yeah, there are some checks and things that you can make, or if I can some plays and, you know, you can, you know, kill the first one or you run the second one or you, you know, kill the second one or stick with the, the alpha call. Like, yeah, okay, that's fine. But if you're just getting away from what we want called and what we want run, like that's a problem, particularly when, you know, you've spent an off season now kind of reimagining your offense. You know, what did we hear from Howie? We want to be aggressive downfield. And I know we opted out, but they trade for Marquise Goodwin, who uh, how he called after that trade the fastest human being on the planet. You drafted, I know they're late round picks, but Quez Watkins and John Hightower, vertical threat guys. Jalen Ragor, for all the like West Coast scheme fit stuff, is a vertical type guy as well, particularly with his double moves. You talk about, and Doug and Howie talked about this, they want to be more aggressive downfield. You know, Doug set it up the combine. Wentz is an aggressive quarterback. We want to cater to that. If that's what you want to do, then do it. But then you see 12 personnel, what, 74% of the time already? And it seems like you get it away from that. And God bless, look, God bless Dallas Goddard. When you beat Jalen Ramsey on a press man coverage situation on a nine round as a tight end, man, reward the guy. Like, come on, that was great. But mm-hmm. still, if you want to be an aggressive downfield team, do it. Like, don't come out running 12 personnel and throw a drive concept, which is a West Coast staple. Like, they, they can't figure out where they want to be right now. And you're 0-2 as a result. So you better figure it out quick. It's interesting that they, they went from the approach of going nothing but downfield stuff week one and then going to week two versus Rams and they just completely switched to 12 personnel. I I don't know what the disconnect there is. It doesn't make sense to me. I I feel like they have to, if Carson's injured, they know. They know he's injured. They're they're keeping it in-house. But then you see this frustrations with Doug. During this week where he's telling Jimmy Kemsky that he's asking if he's ever played quarterback in the NFL. He looks like he's annoyed with all these Carson Wentz questions. That would make me think that he knows Carson's messing up. He knows Carson's not listening to his play calls. He's tired of answering for Carson's mistakes that could have been avoided if he sticks to his script. I mean, what a volatile situation Philadelphia where going into the season, none of us are thinking any of this when it comes to Doug, uh, Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. What a, it's crazy. I mean, it's only two games in. It's early. I You believe it. I believe it. Carson Wentz can turn it around. But, I mean, what a crazy situation for a Super Bowl winning head coach and a top 10 caliber quarterback to be going through this yeah. this early. And it's concerning if you're an Eagles fan because, you know, when you see Peterson in a, in a press conference say, you know, it's an interesting re- question in response to a question about why Carson has regressed that's an issue you know that's a red flag where there's smoke there's fire type of situation and when you see people start to rumble about how the seat might be a little warm under Peterson even though he's a couple of seasons removed from a Super Bowl it's a bad situation and if you're Doug Peterson you shouldn't be there but you might be there right now in part because of the play of your quarterback and then you fold in the fact that they drafted Jalen Hurts in the second round, which was a head-scratching pick to me. They made it. Now you have to lie in that bed because you have people out there saying, ooh, interested. Now he's suddenly active after they lost a bad game in week one. And you have people sort of putting up the, the images of Jalen Hurts and people speculate about how they can get him involved. Now you've created a bad problem. You've made it worse because the speculation is just going to run rampant. So it's a bad situation all around. But look. We all know win cures all. You've got the Cincinnati Bengals on the docket this week. You can beat this team. Like, this is not a good team. Like, you should mm-hmm. be able to take care of this team. So, that just makes it worse, Connor, because if you don't, or say you win a 17 14 rock fight and once throws a pick or two, 
Ish. Yeah, that's not great. Just right. Losing to the team that had the first pick and then losing to the team that had the second pick, probably not a great start for the no. Philadelphia Eagles right there, my friend. But wh- where are you on Doug Peterson as a head coach? Like, do you think that – I I personally love Doug. I think he's a great coach. I want to live or die by his risk mentality. I just think when you're a coach like Doug Peterson, you need an offensive coordinator to mellow you out. I think what he is mis- – I think a lot of fans hit on it. I think it's a little over-exaggerated to the way that they hit on it. But I think when you're – Game planning and preparing for a game, making the script, adjustments. I think he misses Frank Reich in this aspect. I think that's because that, him and Frank Reich were like that, buddy-buddy, always plant, game planning the night before, always together. He doesn't have that anymore. He didn't even have that with Mike Groh when they were uh, – with Mike Groh's offensive coordinator. Do you think that's affecting him, though? Do you think that it, there is something there that is ruining – I don't want to say – because we know Doug Pearson's a great play caller. I, I think his play, play designs are perfect. I just think it's the execution at the end of the day. But do you think that this is hindering him? I think somewhat. I mean, look, when when this team won a Super Bowl, look at that offensive staff. I mean, it was mm-hmm. Doug, obviously, as the head coach. You had Frank Reich. And you had Flip. I mean, Doug DiFilippo, I think, deserves a lot of credit for what we saw from Wentz when he was at his best with Philadelphia, when he looked like an MVP. And, you know, look at what's happened. And, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but look at Chicago right now, where he is. And Mitchell Trubisky, say what you want about the guy. He's off to a 2-0 and start, and he looked pretty good at times in both of those he looks games. Good. I mean, yeah, he had some bad picks, particularly against the Giants, one of which was, look, a great play by James Bradbury, but he looks better than we expected Mitchell Trubisky to look. And I think when you have that three-tiered structure, especially in the CBA that we have and the practice rules that we have, look, it's good to have a quarterback coach that can really be hands-on. It's good to have an offensive coordinator like that, and Frank Reich, and an offensive-minded head coach. You know, that three-tiered structure worked wonders for Carson Wentz. Turned him from a guy that people were kind of iffy on to an MVP candidate in year two. Like, I think they are missing that hierarchy. And I know a lot of people, like, look, after I put up that video on Wentz's mechanics, you know, obviously Eagles fans, you know, they had a lot of comments about it. But a lot of them were to the effect of, what are we paying Press Taylor for? Like, what are we paying Press Taylor for? And so Press Taylor is getting hit with a lot of criticism right now. Maybe it's warranted, maybe it's not. But there is, there does seem to be that hierarchy of coaching missing that you had back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Because it looks like this staff is just letting Carson once be Carson once, and when it starts failing, they don't really know what to do at that point. Mark Schofield's the Eagles coach right now. Just got hired. He's going in to take over. Doug's out of here. What do you do to ne- approach these next couple games with Carson Wentz, knowing that he's struggling, knowing that he's probably at the worst point of his career as a starting quarterback? What do you do to help bail him out of these I struggles? mean, I think the first thing I do, Connor, is I sit him down on you know Monday afternoon and I say, look, here's our playbook. What do you like? What don't you like? Like, tell, let's get on the same page right now with the stuff you want us to run in the passing game. And let's make sure that we are on the same page, that when we start putting together the script later in this week for taking on the Cincinnati Bengals, these are the things that you want. Because I want you to be comfortable. Like, forget about what I want to call. Forget about the stuff I think we should do. If you really want, Carson, us to be a 12 personnel, 74% of the time, then fine, we'll do it. Like, that's where we'll be. But let's get on the same page right now with the stuff you want to run. And once we have that conversation, then the next conversation is, okay, how can we structure 
what we want to do on Sunday against the Cincinnati Bengals with these core concepts that Carson Wentz wants in the game. If he wants us run and drive concept or shallow cross concept with the two tight ends, how can we work RPO stuff off of that? How can we work run game stuff off of that? How can we work play action stuff off of that? And that's the next thing. If we're going to be doing this stuff, I want a lot of it folded in with play action because I'm convinced here, having covered this game now for six, seven years, play action is a cheat code. And you have to be running play action concepts 50, 55, 60% of the time in the drop back passing game. Because it doesn't matter if you're running the ball or not. Like you, we just mentioned Mitchell Trubisky. There was a play in that game after Saquon Barkley went down, Connor. The Giants ran out of 22 personnel with Wayne Gallman in the game, a one-receiver concept, a curl route to Darius Slated off of play action, and it was wide open. It was wide open because people think you have to be either running the ball well or have a Saquon Barkley type for play action to be effective. No, you just have to have the look because if you're a linebacker, you were taught read the keys of the guards, and you see the guards making it seem like they're run blocking, you're going to dive down. It doesn't matter who's in the backfield. So you can be effective if your run game isn't working using play action. So teams need to be using it more. It drives me nuts when I get done watching a game or I, I start studying a game and I see they ran, what, five play action plays this entire game? They threw it 50 times? you got to be kidding me. That's ridiculous. So that's what I would do. I would get on the same page with Carson that I would fold the stuff he wants to have in the game plan into our game plan and make sure we have enough – RPO and play action concepts built off of that. And the other thing I would do is I would move them out of the pocket. And I know a lot of people call for that after week one, uh, particularly when you get sacked eight times. And maybe they're not doing it. They tried to do it sometimes on you know against LA. Maybe they are worried that there is an injury thing here. But if there's not and he's healthy, you got to move him around more. You know, because if nothing else, and I talked about this with Michael Kiss before last week, you know, before last week's game, you change the the aiming point for those defensive linemen. You know, if you're worried about your offensive line, if you're worried about guys pinning their ears back and teeing off on your quarterback, make them think. Make them think the launch, the aiming point isn't going to be there. That When they get to the spot, quarterback's not going to be there. They're going to be hesitant coming off the line. And so those are the things, Connor, that I'd be doing right now if I were Doug Peterson. As someone that watched Carson Wentz as, lot, as much as I feel like we both probably watched him a lot at North Dakota State, I feel Everybody blames Doug Peterson for this 12 personnel. I think that's wrong. I think it's fifth Carson yeah. Wentz. He was great at 12 personnel in North Dakota State. He loved targeting those tight ends in the red zone. It, it hasn't changed in the NFL. I think when everybody blames Doug, Doug Peterson for this stuff, I'm like, I think he's doing it to tailor his quarterback. I know 74% is excessive. I also think that when your your best receiving threats on this team are your tight ends, you have to do it a little excessively. I don't know about 74%, but I mean – there's some things that I would change with this offense, starting with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. I mean, I think him being on that route for that interception was the bad move. I think it should have been vice versa. Rager runs that route and uh, J.J. runs the flat. I don't know what's going on there personally, but I think the 12 personnel will bail Carson Wentz out still. I'm still a firm believer that 12 personnel works when you have the two athletic tight ends like Philadelphia has, especially Goddard in the blocking game and the Yak. To successfully run this offense, I just think it's the outside is what the issue is. It, you can't take J.J. Arcega-Whiteside seriously. Jalen Rager's hurt now. Deshaun Jackson, they're monitoring him. They're putting him on a pitch count. Now they're going to have to lean on him more. If they lean on him more, he most likely will get hurt. John Hightower, his routes look great. I don't know if he's there as a receiver yet, though. I think he's still adjusting to the game. 
now the issue goes where you can't really do that much with the 12 personnel because it's all underneath stuff because your deep threats and your downfield stuff's not really threats. Tough situation right now. I, I, that's the, I just don't see how they can really get out of 12 personnel, but I also don't see how they could be so effective. That's what fans hate it. They hate it because they don't see it being that effective. But I look at the outside, I think it's really a big issue. For yeah, them. and look, let me prepare Eagles fans right now. You're probably going to see a lot of 12 this weekend. But it'll be a good thing because these Cincinnati linebackers, you watch that game against Cleveland uh, last Thursday night. Some of these guys didn't want to be there. Like Cleveland was running 21, 22 personnel. They had Andy Janovich, their fullback. He was doing some lead block and stuff. And guys just – he blocked a couple of guys like out of the screen because they just didn't want to take on blocks. These linebackers for Cincinnati aren't great. And so if you're looking at this game plan and if you're Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz putting it together, you want to be in 12 because you want to keep as many linebackers on the field as you can. So you're probably going to see a lot of 12 this week. And it would be a week where if it's not effective against these Cincinnati linebackers, then we've got to have another discussion about what's going on with this team because you should be successful and it should be effective this week. Beyond that, though, I don't think you can be – as much as I love generally the concept of going 12 – getting that team into base or 21 like the Niners do and other teams do get that base defense on the field. Cause you want to throw against linebackers. Cause as justice Muscata describes them, they're trained pigs and I get it. Look, they linebackers. I don't think you want to be there 74% of the time. You have to find out other ways to get guys involved. You have to do some other things, you know, because especially if you want to get the ground game going, one of the best ways to do that is to do it out of 11, like the Rams do, because now you're running against sub packages. So, I understand why they like to do 12. Goddard and Ertz are a great tight end duo. You're going to see a lot of it this week, but I don't think 74% is where you want to be overall. No, I think 52 is a fair yeah. where you want to be after the Eagles when you get to the wide receiver position. But I I think they will move off of it eventually, though. I think this is the last year of it, really. I think Ertz is gone, to be personally just honest with you. I think they're going to move on from Zach Ertz at some point this offseason. If, not, if they lose to the Bengals, it's over. I think you're right. I think they – they would probably just be like, okay, we have to change everything at this point and probably trade Zach Ertz and then stick to 11 and see what they got and the guys that they have because they 0-3 start. Yeah. Not really, but I don't really see if they can come back from that, to be honest with you. I know it's early, but uh, if they struggle against the Bengals, I don't see it happening. I don't think that could be – I don't think they have a, the talent or the chemistry in place to overcome that right now. Uh, so that's just where I'm at with the team right now. I'm not giving up. I think they have the talent to – I do think Carson Wentz, if he gets – it just depends on him. If he gets it all together, they, they'll go as far as Carson Wentz could take him, and he could take him far because he's shown that he could play at an MVP level. It's just not there right now, and that's – it's just so crazy because going – that's why I had to get you on the show because going back for North Dakota State, I'd never seen it. It's always one game. There's always that one what-the-hell game you get from Carson Wentz. You don't get two, and I know – First half versus Washington, he was on point and everything. But that second half, it was very questionable. Because I know everybody wants to blame Jalen Rager and John Hightower for not coming back for those passes. But I think if you're Carson Wentz, you're a fifth-year veteran, you understand those are rookies in their first game. You might not want to target them there. That might not be the read you want to go with. I don't know. I'm just I would, I'm interested to see how they bounce back against Cincinnati, especially Zach Taylor. I mean, Doug Peterson has to coach Zach Taylor. I'm not really all in on Zach Taylor. I don't know about you, but I think Joe Burrow is great. I think Joe Burrow will have a great game. I think he's legit. I just if you can't out coach Zach Taylor, I think there's a huge problem in Philadelphia then. But you spoke about it earlier, and I want to get into you more now because you and I talked during the draft process of how we're we like Jalen Hurts, but to an extent, 
I was so in for him to be a Tennessee Titan. I thought him and Arthur Smith's play action system would be perfect, developing there behind Ryan Tannehill, perfect situation. Never did I ever think Philadelphia was a destination for him. I still don't think he would be the West Coast offense type quarterback. I think if you're Doug Peterson and you have to go to Jalen Hurts, you have to go strict RPOs like you did with Nick Foles. What do you see with Jalen Hurts where they put him on the field versus Los Angeles? Do you think that you have to keep doing that moving forward? I mean, it does throw the defenses off. I, I like it from that standpoint. I just – I worry about – I'm still stuck in my wildcat phase of Michael Vick and Donovan Nab on the field at the same time and how it just could kill drives. I'm, I'm worried how it's going to go with Carson Wentz, especially while he's struggling. Yeah, I mean, I like it because anything you can do to make an upcoming defensive coordinator think – like, let's put it this way. If you're the Bengals defensive coordinator and you have to spend any practice time this week worried about Jalen Hurts and not Goddard and Hurts and everything else, that's time you're not dedicated to what the Eagles really do. And so I do like that aspect to give other teams something to think about. And I think there are ways to sort of give Hurts a package of plays where he can be on the field. You know, like they had a couple of things where fake screens and things like that. You know, where you could sort of create some things and create some opportunities. And it's also good to get the kids' feet wet. But, yeah, the the overall fit, like we talked about before the draft and after, like I I don't see it. Like I don't see him in this offense. Now, if they are going to that more vertical downfield passing game, I think that could fit Jalen Hurts. But you're a team that's built to compete right now. Like you're a team that is expected to be competitive in the NFC East. Thought a lot of people, myself included, thought – could be a playoff team and perhaps make a run. How does Jalen Hurts help you immediately achieve that goal? Like it, it's just, and I know the Eagles are one of those franchises that does a very good job at thinking two, three, four, five years down the road. So I understand maybe if you saw something, this kid and were blown away by him, maybe you're thinking five years down the road, this could be your quarterback. Okay, fine. Like, but you could have gotten him later in the draft, I think. So, yeah, I. Jeremy Chin yeah. would really be helpful right now, that safety situation, because I, I I like Kevin Wallace. They obviously are worried about playing him. I mean, they played Marcus Epps over him. I I don't know. I don't know why they did that. And even if you're right, even if they do see it five years down the road, that's then you have to sign him to a new contract. Yeah. Because, I, I again, I'm with you. I don't think Jalen Hurts to see the field until three years, if that. And then I'm still questioning him as a starting quarterback as is. There's things I like, there's things I don't like. If I'm deploying him, though, more in the Eagles' offense, I start using him as a power runner. I start using the power run concepts because, I mean, Boston Scott's pretty much your most your short yardage back. Uh, I think I would start using Jalen Hurts in that. What New England has done with Cam, look at what the Saints have done with Taysom Hill. Like, you can run some Q power type looks or some RPO power looks. Like, where you've got, you know, Boston Scott – Miles Sanders on the wide zone. Look, you pull a guard in front of Jalen Hurts if he wants to keep it. Like you could do some things that way that are creative, that are going to pick up some first downs, or to give defenses something to think about. And you're exposing Carson Wentz to hits like that. Like that's like win, 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 win all around. I mean, you could do some things, a little package of plays that will be beneficial. I think with Jalen Hurts. So say that they're thinking this. Say that that's already on their mind when Jalen Hurts is on the board at pick fifty three. That's not worth the second round, no, though. I mean, yeah, that, that's if that's what they try to. If that's what they with thought, Tommy though, Stevens, what did they get him seventh mm, round? I mean, yeah. you could have you could have done a, things a lot differently than the way they handled it. Tommy Stevens would have been the perfect guy. I mean, Taysom Hill's undrafted. I yeah, I uh, I don't know. I even if, like you said, if they think that, then then 
maybe they do trade him down the line. I just it, it's a lot to get there, and then not only that, we're questioning the staff right now. Week two, I mean, week three into the twenty twenty season as is. So then, is this even the staff that can develop him? Is the next question. So I tough. I don't know. I really look at that board. I'm like Christian Fulton looks great for the Titans right now. Uh, Jeremy Chin looks great for the Panthers. Looks exceptional for the Panthers. Uh, I know Denzel Mims is hurt. AJ Espinosa looks impressive for the Bills. All those guys are on the board. J.K. Dobbins could have really Ewan Sanders him in the backfield at the same time. Jalen Hurts, I don't know what they're ever going to get out of him to make it worth a pick 53. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I know a lot of Eagles fans have bought into it. I buy into it for the fact that you get a talented backup quarterback from that standpoint. I don't think that's worth a second-round pick still. I, w- I thought James Morgan in the fourth round. I mean, Morgan in the fourth. Jake Fromm in the fifth. Like, Anthony Gordon in yeah. the sixth. Like, you could have, you know – you could have gone a couple of if you're envisioning if you're envisioning these guys to be your backup quarterback because they're obviously envisioning Jalen Hurts to be the backup. That's the point here right now. You want them to be a game manager. Yeah. You want them to be smart with the football. I I would question that with Jalen Hurts. Jake Fromm, would I question that? No, he's going to yeah. be safe. He's going to be super safe with the football. Uh, James Morgan is, is as well. I don't know the 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 resources for a team that really could really use that influx of young talent right now. Uh, from that second round pick, it, it's it's hard to sell on, but I I agree with you. I think just keep the Jalen Hurts in there, start working them in to start throwing off the defensive coordinators. You need more creativity when your quarterback's uh, struggling the way yep. he is right now. That's exactly right. But Mark, I really appreciate you coming on. Eagles want to talk to you real quick. I had to get some words out of you after I read that article. I thought I because again, like I said, I think the media focuses on who right. do we blame, not. What what the actual contextual stuff is going on on the field? Because there's there's so many factors that go into yeah. losing. It's not just one person. It's everything's going wrong. There's facets to it, and I'm glad you broke it down for the NFL wire. I know uh, touchdown wire. Excuse me, I keep saying that touchdown wire of USA Today. I know that uh, Ben Solak did a great job too, as well for Bleeding Green Nation, and I know Fran Duffy did as well for the Eagles. Both those guys do great work. You do great work yourself. How to get you on to talk to you about this. Thanks for taking time out of your day. Jordan Eagles. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Connor. Really appreciate having me on. It's always a blast. Awesome, man. Thank you. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.